0: You want Chinese, they want pizza, and someone else is craving froyo, But there's something for everyone on DoorDash. Continuing supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities we operate in safe. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ADVANTAGE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ADVANTAGE. Don't forget, that's code ADVANTAGE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. everybody scott burnside back for the wednesday edition of two-man advantage and this truly is a two-man advantage podcast because the second of the two men in the title pierre lebrun i know you listen every morning when i'm doing the other ones uh man you know you could always just jump in with a, a comment or a call but welcome aboard for our regular podcast on this wednesday how are you doing
1: I'm all right, and uh, I don't consider the other ones official because I'm not on it, but uh, it is good to be on the official Two Man Advantage podcast again today, my friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it, This is and this is an exciting edition of the podcast, and I'll tell you, it was a very popular um, uh, edition when I mentioned this to my wife, that our guest is a former, I should have asked Jeff, ward this i don't know if he graduated from the university of waterloo in kitchener but certainly that is where he began his coaching career as an assistant coach back in 1989 90 man that is a long time ago but now the head coach of the calgary flames so jeff ward thanks for coming and hanging out with us today it's a it's a real treat
2: yeah thanks for having me i'll tell you when you say the years it makes me feel really old but I'll tell you, the, uh, the the KW community has been a real good spot for me. Uh, I spent a lot of great years there and uh, nothing but fond memories.
0: Well, maybe just start. I'd love to to hear the story. And I don't know. I kind of assume that you must have played uh, university hockey at Waterloo, which is in, in Kitchener-Waterloo, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with the uh the Southern Ontario geography, but a bit West of Toronto. And, but that's where you got your start as a coach. And I wonder how, how'd that happen? How'd you end up behind the, the bench at the uh, Canadian university hockey?
2: Well, I'll tell you, it was a, it was a funny story because, uh, you know, I'm I'm a teacher by trade and I was, uh, I was teaching in New Liskert, Ontario at the high school. Um, and actually uh, they were looking for a coach to, to coach the midget team there. Um, and, you know, they they just kind of asked me. I was doing an awful lot of coaching at school, doing some intramurals, everything. Um, you know, when they approached me to coach the midget team, I thought, you know what, I've really got nothing else to do uh, at night. You know, I, I loved the coaching at the at the school and I just figured it was something uh, that that I would jump into. So I did um, and did that for a year in New Liskert. And then Donnie McKee at the University of Waterloo was looking for an assistant coach. And And uh, Donnie got in contact with me and and that's how I came down to the university and I owe him an awful lot. I mean, he really uh, educated me as a coach. I mean, there's a lot of people in the KW area that I owe an awful lot to in terms of getting my start. Uh, Donnie was huge. He brought me into the University of Waterloo and I was really, really glad to see him get uh, elected into the the, the Hall of Fame there at the university earlier this year. Um, It's fantastic. And he gave me my start and we uh we had four or five great years together at the university i learned an awful lot as a coach he got me immersed in uh, the certification program of hockey canada um, actually took it to a different level where i actually became an apprentice coach where i worked not only uh, with him at the university but uh, with a, a program in hockey canada where i had to do uh, uh, 10 tasks over a two-year period and then i had it was almost like a a master's uh, evaluation when you're trying to get your master's degree um, where I had people come in and, and uh, we had a comprehensive exam at the end um, and people would come in like Dave King did uh, grilled me on uh, strategy and tactics and we had the sports psychologist come in and talk to me about that ask me questions on that we had physiologists come in and talked about how you train your team so Donnie did an excellent job in terms of educating me as a coach and getting me going. Uh, and from the university, uh, I was able to branch out into other things. But that's how I got to the University of Waterloo. And uh, I owe a tremendous amount to Donnie McKee for, for getting me to, uh, on my start to where I am right now. So,
1: Jeff, I had no idea that you had spent time in New this is a, <laughs> I know Scotty knew. I don't know if Scotty knew this about me either. But uh, So I, I played in the 1990 All-Ontario Midget B hockey tournament in New Liskert uh as a member of the Hearst lumber kings believe it or not and we won it we, ac- <laughs> we actually won the all ontario now midget b mind you and i was a third line grinder on that Hearst lumber kings team but uh obviously a vivid memory for me being the liskard for that tournament uh in 1990 so we almost met, I guess. Yeah,
2: that's, yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't know you were a Northern Ontario I'm actually originally from Manitou, so um, being in the Great North Midget League there, going up and down that highway all, all over the place, was uh, it was it was great. Yeah, there you go.
0: Well, I'm surprised, uh, Jeff, that you haven't seen the statue of uh, Pierre Lebrun outside of Hearst. It's right next to Claude Giroux's statue. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you time. know what?
2: It must be a small statue because I went to rehearse earlier uh, earlier this summer, and all I saw was clothes. So I apologize. For yeah, that there's, no, next time. there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no,
0: there,
1: there's no Pierre LeBrun statue. Let's be clear. But uh, <laughs> hey, listen, Jeff, we'll, we'll fast forward back to uh, to today, and uh, um, I always find it fascinating, uh, you know, how people go through their emotions of, of losing in the playoffs after a few weeks. And one thing I thought about when I knew we and you were going to have you on today is now that the Dallas Stars are in the Cup Final, is there any different view of, you know, such a close series with them, losing to them in the first round, but certainly now the realization that, uh, you know, there's no embarrassment in losing to the Dallas Stars, certainly when you consider what they've achieved since then.
2: No, for sure. I mean, we knew going into the series that they were going to be a tough out. Uh, anytime you face a team that's defensively as good as them, uh, you know you're in for a hard series. And then combine that with, I mean, you know, the biggest problem we had with them, especially early in that series, but it was a it was a pattern that continued, was how good those three defensemen were against us. Like, I really felt like uh, Miro Heiskanen and, and Jamie Alexiak and, and John Klingberg were, were just, they were unstoppable. Um, you know, and we tried to be physical with them. It didn't bother them at all. They were able to jump into the rush. They created an awful lot of things for them. So, um, you know, and, and as the series went on, you could see that they were starting to get scoring from other people as well. I mean, the secondary scoring was always there. Um, but now you see as they've gone through the playoffs and other big guys are starting to go too. And so now you got a double-headed sword, really, or the double-edged sword. You've got a, a real good team defensively that's all bought in. But you've also got a team not only do they have secondary scoring now and scoring from the back end, but they've also got their big guys starting to roll. And so you got, you know, they're a tough out now and uh, you can just see it growing. The belief is growing and, you know, haven't been through it myself. Um, When you have that belief and you're coming to the rink and you know that it's growing that way, it's almost like, you know, when you get to the rink you're going to win. And I can see that confidence level in them right now and uh, they're playing extremely well. But, uh, they were they were hard for us they were they gave us obviously uh, everything that uh, that we could handle um, I guess the biggest thing for us was saying all that you know we're in game four and we're 11 seconds away from right. going up three to one mm-hmm. and if we can get that done you know maybe it's a different series but they found a way to make a play and, and we didn't and that's uh, you know that's the beauty of playoffs and they're able to roll that into where they are right now so they're full marks for it and uh, it's fun to watch them
0: I'll tell you, it's such a strange time, and I I was looking at social media today, and actually at my own calendar, and people have noted that it was literally a year ago that NHL teams were starting to play their exhibition or preseason games before the start of the season, and here we are, it's, it's, you know... headed toward a Stanley Cup final in Edmonton but I wonder what the process was like for you Jeff after you left the bubble in Edmonton uh, you're trying to unpack what happened to your team and 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 uh, and do postmortem on that but also you're Preparing for interviews and time with GM Brad Treliving about your future as the head coach of the Calgary Flames, and I wonder what that process was like for you leading up to the moment when when Brad announced that you were gonna uh, be that no more interim head coach, that you were going to be the man behind the bench for the Flames moving forward.
2: Yeah, well, you know it, it was a really different time, Scott. Like normally, when you come back from uh, you know losing in the playoffs, you know when the, your season's over you know you you take a day and then you usually have exit meetings with all the players and you know you go away and then you usually get an opportunity to meet and sit down with the gm and and have some discussions but with uh, how long we were in the bubble and how long the guys have been away from their families when we got back to uh, calgary you know the guys just disbanded we decided not to do any exit meetings right away and that was for a couple of reasons we wanted the guys to be able to get back home but we also wanted them to take some time to really reflect on uh, our season before we, uh, you know, before we talk to them, and I'm just actually starting right now uh, my exit meetings with all the players today. So over the next three days, I'm going to sit down and have a have a Zoom call with all our players and, and really dig into uh, our season and you know how where we need to go to get better. But uh, after we were back for about three days, uh, I went in and had a good long meeting with Brad. Uh, we discussed an awful lot of things. Uh, at that point in time, I came back home. And uh, about a week after that, we started again. So I had uh, three days of good, long meetings and discussions uh, with Brad, with uh, Don Maloney, with the ownership group. Um, And then at that point in time, uh, you know, through those discussions and they they were very open discussions. um, You know, we talked about an awful lot of things. Um, You know, I I think it really was was constructive. Um, It was it was worthwhile going through it. Uh, And at the end of the day, then they decided to make the decision that they did. So I knew that it was going to be a bit of a process. So, you know, being in the game as long as I have, I wasn't really uh, panicking about it. I knew that they had a process that they needed to go through, and I wanted to make sure that they went through that process, because ultimately, when you end up with an opportunity, you need to know that you have the full confidence of the people that you're working with. And I certainly feel that um, after having gone through all this. Right.
1: And, and, and Jeff, you know, you, you took over the team midstream, of course, last year, um, which limits in some ways uh, any kind of change that you want to make right system wise or, or you know, um, you know, or even philosophical. Um, now, you did have the camp before return the play, which gave you a unique opportunity. But I'm wondering, going into your first full season as a head coach of the Flames, are there things that... You know things that are going to be important to you to maybe change now that you know you get to start with a clean slate here.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a good point, Pierre. You know when the coaching change happened, obviously you're right in the middle of things, and it's difficult to to institute a lot of change if you want to. So we just wanted to keep things as normal as possible and and make small tweaks here and there. And you know we did an awful lot of discussing as a staff about the timing of when we wanted to make those tweaks. Um, we did an awful lot during the, uh, during the pause. And I thought that was a real important time for us. You know, we were able to, uh, really institute a lot of the change that we wanted to make in the D zone. We, we did some tweaking with our tracking. Um, you know, there were some things in our offensive game that we wanted to, to revisit and refine a little bit. So the, the pause gave us an opportunity to spend some time with our players to get some feedback on what those changes were going to be and how they felt about them. Uh, We had the time to send out some, you know, almost instructional videos to the guys about what it looks like and, you know, what the teaching points of everything are going to be. And then when they got back, obviously we dove right into it in our, our, you know, almost three weeks of training camp in order to institute those things. But I give the guys a lot of credit. I mean, uh, you're sort of taking a gamble on something like that in a short time period, but they dove into it right away. They... You know, they all bought into it and I thought, uh, you know, I thought we did a real good job with the things through the playoffs. But uh, coming into the the training camp now, a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do is in. So that's going to give our guys some comfort level coming in and that's going to allow us to do some things. But there's still a few tweaks we want to get in there. But by the end of training camp now, everything will be there. Our style of play is going to be where we want it as a staff. Um, Our guys are going to be comfortable with it. And then we're looking, you know, to springboard into a real good start based on all those things.
0: Yeah, Jeff, it's, Pierre alluded to it uh, earlier in the conversation. Uh, Rick Bonus, uh, of course, the interim coach in Dallas and has the stars in their first final appearance in 20 years. And, and I think he was 20 years between NHL head coaching gigs. And, and you had to bide your time as well. Uh, your first NHL experience as a, uh, on the coaching staff was with Claude Julien and the Bruins in 7 08. Of course, won a cup there in 2011. And I wonder if there was... Uh, if there were moments where you wondered if it would happen to you or maybe it was just, I don't know if it, if it, if it bothered you that it took so long or how you, you know, how you went through the process before finally getting the opportunity that you now have.
2: Yeah. You know what? It, it didn't really bother me. And I'll tell you why. Um, You know, when, when I was a young coach, we used to go out and when I was doing things with the uh, you know, hockey Canada, we had these high performance seminars and, um i was out at one of those seminars uh one year and and ken hitchcock made a great point to the to the group and he said you know don't worry about trying to accelerate too quickly through things he goes the most important team is the one you're with just do the job where you're at and uh it's amazing how things will look after themselves once that happens and i really took that you know piece of advice that he gave to the group to heart um you know i'm a fan of the game i love the game but the biggest thing for me is being a teacher i love working with people so when I get into a you know each stop I've had along my path, I've really you know gotten into just being involved, establishing relationship with the players and trying to make them better and I would get an awful lot of enjoyment and satisfaction out of that and I'll tell you the years just fly by when you're doing that so i didn't really I was never really disappointed um, I just felt like you know just keep doing your job, just keep doing your job and you know as long as you're enjoying doing what you're doing everything's going to work out in the end and um you know, it has for me. Um, and I, like I said, I it's a, I give credit to all the great players that I've been around through the years and all the great coaches I've had the opportunity to work with. Um, and so here I am. And, you know, when you look at Bones, how great is that? What a great story that is. I mean, 20 years between head jobs. He's been in the league longer than anybody. Um, he's a tremendous person. Uh, I'm just I'm really rooting for him and it's, it's great. And, and uh, you know, I was saying to, uh I was saying to uh, Berkey the other day, uh, you know, he had asked me about pressure, and I said, you know, there's there's not really any pressure unless, you know, I said um, Craig Berube goes in as an interim in St. Louis and wins the Cup two years ago. I said Bones is an interim if he can get through and get this Cup. Uh, you know, one is an interim in Dallas. I said now I might have pressure on me as the first year guy in Calgary, <laughs> you know, after going through all that, but. but <laughs> and Mike Johnson even said, well, yeah, maybe they're going to take, put the interim tag back on you. And I said, Oh, don't give me any ideas. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> yeah.
2: So, but I think, I think it's just awesome. I, I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great that, uh, guys are getting an opportunity again. Um, you know, it's not like, it's not like a guy like bones gets dumber over his time in the game. You know, he's probably forgotten more hockey than I, than I know right now. But, uh, He's just, he's great and uh, I, I'm so happy for him and, and uh, it'd be great to see him get it done. But what, what's the
1: adjustment like, uh, before we let you go here, Jeff, going from the assistant to the head coach and, you know, I, I know in Rick Bonus's case, I always been very popular with the players, but now when you become head coach, you sometimes have to, you know, uh, uh, lay down the law. And I, you know, I think, you know, You know, Todd Reardon, you know, obviously didn't work out for him with Washington. I'm sure he'll be a better coach for it next time around. But the adjustment going from an assistant to a head coach, it's different, right? You're wearing a different hat, not just for obvious reasons, but sometimes not for, you know, also for subtle reasons.
2: Yeah, for sure. It it can be, you know, it it can be, uh, it's obviously something that you have to deal with. And I think it can be difficult. You know, thinking about it from my own standpoint, I think the benefit for me was that I had been with the team for a year and a bit. So I knew all the players and all their personalities and they knew me, which was, you know, which made the transition for me seem seamless. But what I really did and what I wanted to do was I wanted to sit down with each guy individually um, and have him get a feel for me and, you know, how things may work and what the expectations for me were going to be. And the one thing I did say to every guy was that you have now a clean slate. You're going to begin to establish a relationship with us now uh, from this day moving forward. So, you know, in terms of roles, in terms of opportunities, these things are all going to be different. And uh, we have to establish a new relationship now, you know, between myself as as the head coach and you as the player. Um, I look forward to it. We did an awful lot of, you know, talking to guys about their strengths, about areas of their game where we felt they, they could get a little bit better. Uh, we asked them what they liked about the program, uh, up to that point in time, if they could change anything, what would it be? So I really wanted to get a, a real thorough, uh, understanding of each player and, and have them have a thorough understanding of where we wanted to go as a staff. And I, I think that made the transition from an assistant coach, uh, to having to be the head coach an awful lot easier for me. Um, and I give our players an awful lot of credit. I mean, uh, you know, they could have said like, "What the hell is this guy selling?" Um, but they responded well to it. They bought in, and we uh, were able to to do some pretty good things the rest of the the rest of the season.
0: Good, Jeff. Uh, it, it's been great having you aboard. I I wanted to just close out. I I was curious about, you know, what your what it the process has been like for you. Not only do you get your first opportunity as a head coach in the NHL, but it's in a Canadian market. It's in a, in a town that uh, is loyal and hungry for success. And I wonder if that was something that you had to adjust to, whether it was the media and all the things that go with being a head coach, but also being in a Canadian market. And I don't know if it was different than you thought it was going to be or what that process was like for you.
2: Oh, you know what? It's been great, Scott. Um, I love being in the Canadian market. And I'll tell you why, because hockey matters so much. You know, a game day is a special thing. There's a buzz in the city, uh, you know, and the fans are passionate. I mean, they care about the team and they want the team to do well. And I, I think a couple of experiences for me, you know, really helped. Being in Boston, I mean, uh, you know, the we were an original six team, obviously, as you know. And the original six, if you're on an original six team, it's a special thing. You know, you go into other uh, special or uh, sorry, special other uh, original six buildings and, um, you know, the fans there treat that game almost like a rivalry game. And it's, it's really cool. And we don't get to see those teams a lot or some of them when uh, when I was in Boston. But when we did, for example, like when we used to go to Chicago, it was a big game like, um, you know, the fans came out and they supported it. And it was, you know, there was a special feel about it. So that prepared me a little bit to be in a Canadian market. But then I think as we got more successful in Boston and the expectations of our team rose, you got to see a little bit of the pressure that happens with a team when a community is really behind you. And uh, the Boston fans aren't going to, you know, they're not going to uh, push things under the rug for you. If you're good, they're loving it. If you're bad, they're going to let you know. And, uh, you know, I respect that about them. And I think going through that as a young coach and now being in a Canadian city, it's exactly the same thing. If you're playing well, they're going to be behind you hundred percent. If you're not playing well, they're going to let you know. And, and, uh, I think that's really cool because it shows the investment of your fan base. And now our job is to, you know, to take it to the next step for them because they've been behind us all the way. Uh, we've had the opportunity now to be in the playoffs for two years in a row, which hasn't happened in Calgary in a long time. They're hungry for it. And we really want to take the next step, uh, so that uh, we can give our fans something to, you know, to be really, really proud of uh, moving ahead here in the next couple of years.
0: Good stuff. Well, I'm sure that the Flames fan base in in the, the Kitchener-Waterloo area is growing exponentially. So that's a good sign, too. So but uh, it, it's been great to to have you aboard today jeff and and congratulations on uh on, on your new formal posting in calgary and and hope you're you're you get some time to enjoy your family and recharge and refresh before whatever next season looks like and that's uh, still very much in the air but thanks for coming hanging out with pierre and i today it's been a it's been a yeah trip.
2: well thanks for thanks for having me guys it, it was my pleasure and i I gotta I gotta find a fall hobby now guys to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean you know it's like it's it's great I mean I'm sitting around watching lots of college football and the NFL and the NHL playoffs but I gotta get outside and do something once in a while so <laughs> I think I'm gonna get the uh, fishing rod out again and maybe do a little hunting and you know get my uh, get my sons out with me but it'll be it'll be fun whatever we do and uh, I've got some uh, you know a lot of dinners and things like that so uh, yeah I'm looking forward to the time.
0: Good stuff. Well, thanks very much, Jeff. It's been great. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you guys have a great day. Thanks. That was great, and uh, and not just now. See, I, Pierre, this is the great thing about doing these kinds of uh, of interviews or conversations is that you learn stuff. And uh, I had no idea that you were such a big deal in New Liskert as well <laughs> as Hertz. So that was. Well, I'm certainly not a big deal in
1: New Liskert, or frankly anywhere, but if anything, I'd probably be a villain in New Liskert if anyone remembered the uh, 1990 All-Ontario Midget B Championship, But uh, with the visiting Hearst Lumber Kings going undefeated en route to the All-Ontario title. (laughs) Uh, That's great that
0: you... Oh my gosh. Well, it's great that you remember all that. Uh, uh, and it was great. I really enjoyed our conversation with Jeff and, and we're going to take a break. But when we come back, uh, I want to get your thoughts on that and and maybe broaden the scope to to look at the, the coaching markets. Uh, it, it, it is still a little bit in transition. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this message.
3: Hey, this is Craig Custance with The Athletic. My family has, I I would say, a healthy obsession with water and water bottles. And we all have our own personal, like, giant thing of water that we carry around. My daughter has a, you know, one of those daily planners, and it has check marks for how much water they're drinking. Because we know when you don't get enough water and you're dehydrated, you feel lethargic, you don't feel good, it makes a big difference in your day. And with Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way To stay hydrated. We're big fans of liquid IV in our family. When you drink liquid IV, you have more energetic workouts, you sleep better, but it's better for your immunity, which is super important right now. You just have more energy. So liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code athletic at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Hey, this is Craig Customs with The Athletic. Maybe you were blessed with a body that you can just pull clothes off the rack and they fit perfectly, but if you're anything like me, and every shirt I buy, the arms are too long. Every pair of pants I buy, the legs are too long. I don't have the time or the money really to go and get everything I um, everything I buy tailored perfectly. So I end up looking like a frumpy sports writer half the time, which isn't great. And I wish it wasn't the case. But the times when I do take the time to buy the things that fit right, I, you just feel better, right? You're, you're confident. You walk into a room. You don't feel like you're wearing your dad's clothes because the, the sleeves are, are down over your hands it it just makes you feel better about yourself and you end up doing a better job at whatever it is you're doing and that's what makes indochino so great indochino suits are great for wedding and for work and they offer a lot of casual options like shirts coats and chinos and right now honestly like that's what i find myself most attracted to like i i recently made a purchase there even if like 80% of the press conferences or whatever i'm doing in zoom you still want to look good. You still want to be professional. You still want things to fit and feel good about yourself. And the way it works is I booked some time with a virtual style consultation and took it step by step. And I was even able to personalize it. Uh, the dress shirt threw my initials on there from the stitching to the collar to what kind of material you want on the inside flap. There's so many ways to personalize it. So with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, and casual wear at surprisingly affordable prices. And if you are getting married, Indochino is an absolute no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget the -the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everybody a tailored fit. You order with ease, you get it shipped fast no matter where you live, and with all the ways to customize, you can add a personal touch everyone will be proud to wear without emptying their pockets. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $299 with all customizations included. Visit one of Indochino's showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code CRAIG, C-R-A-I-G, at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code CRAIG, to get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more. Check it out. I highly encourage you. You'll feel good about yourself. I promise. I didn't want to
0: embarrass... Jeff but I had uh, read with interest uh, Eric Tehachik did a great piece on the flames decision talked to um, to, to Bradshire living the GM in Calgary about the thought process um, you know after the flames were bounced and then as he considered what to do with the coaching position uh, and as you know Pierre uh, it, and you've written extensively on this there are a lot of big name coaches on in the marketplace right and in earlier well I guess a day earlier from when you and I are chatting now. Peter Laviolette signed on as the head coach in Washington. Um, But there are still lots of coaches out there, guys like Gerard Gallant, of course, Mike Babcock, Bruce Boudreaux, um, lots of coaches out there with with big resumes. And I thought it was important that Bradshaw Living... Really spoke honestly about his feelings about Jeff Ward and how the players had responded to him in Calgary after he took over for Bill Peters. And I thought this was a great line. He said, "I think he's a good coach who could be a great coach." Um, and it's going to be fascinating because this this coming season I think is going to be a really important one for the Flames. You know, as as Jeff mentioned, two times in the playoffs, uh, two years in a row, but really two disappointing. Ends to both those playoff series, losing to Colorado, the eighth seed a year ago, and then of course having a chance against Dallas and not being able to put them away. And I, I wonder what you know when you sort of unpack what's going on with with Jeff now in 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 behind the bench again in Calgary. How important it is next season for the Flames to to maybe take him a, a step or two forward. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know the Flames didn't announce this, so it would have been unfair for us to ask Jeff this, but. Uh, you know, as I reported, it's a it's a two year deal that he signed, um, which is rare. You don't see that a lot in the NHL. Most coaches get three to five year deals when they sign on, but I, I think I think both Jeff Ward and Brad Treiliving made a smart play here in the sense that Brad Treiliving is saying I'm not a hundred percent sure yet, so we are only getting two years, but I think you got a chance to be a real good one, so let's see. And I think Jeff Ward is saying, hey, like this is my first chance to be a head coach. Like, uh, I don't care if it's only two years, I'm going to show everyone. And if all goes well next year, uh, you know, and I, as I wrote, you know, this week in my sort of coaches roundup, who's to say the flames don't extend him after a full year of seeing him behind the bench as a head coach and, and, and he gets a longer extension. So I, I like what both Jeff Ward and Brad Shielding have done here. It is unusual. You don't see a lot of two year deals. Um, but I think if you're Jeff Ward, just to be blunt, what else are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, it's not like there are other openings around the league after Pierre LaViolette took the job in Washington, and it's not like you've been a head coach before. So, you know, I, I think he's got a chance to be a really good coach. I like what I saw from the Flames this year with him behind the bench, but he does have to prove it here again, uh, you know, before his next deal. So I, I'm all good with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. As, as soon as the Flames were balanced and people, you know, we were wondering what was going to happen, I got uh, unsolicited a couple of calls from other NHL executives who said, I, I really, I think they'll stay with Jeff Ward. And I really hope that he gets that opportunity because, he, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's so well regarded in the coaching and management community around the NHL. And and he's been at it for a long time. So good good on him to to get that opportunity. I'm curious whether you're surprised because and and in your fine piece that, that sort of breaks down the coaching landscape now with Peter Laviolette having uh signed on with the caps uh three-year deal as you reported uh, high 4 million dollar range so just south of 5 million dollars a year which is a good payday for Peter mm-hmm. Laviolette and really a little bit a little bit different for the Capitals, right? I mean that's a team that has traditionally and historically Yeah, you know that they haven't they spend up to the cap on the players but maybe their coaching budget has not been it's but they've just approached it differently historically and i Mm -hmm. wonder now when you look around bob bugner likely to stay in san jose we saw dean evison have the interim tag lifted in minnesota and staying with the wild it's it's not as wide open at this stage as maybe some of us might have thought i wonder what you make of that
1: yeah, and that's why I think for the coaching fraternity, a lot of elation that Pierre Lavillette got when he got in Washington financially because I think there was probably some concern in the coaching ranks that things were starting to slide backwards after some pretty important work laid down by Mike Babcock and Joel Quenville in terms of bringing the salaries along, right? And And, and, and again, we're talking because of the pandemic, of course, and the uncertainty of what lies ahead. But I think it really comes down to each organization where they are. I mean, the Caps, Brian McClellan, I love the way he handled all this because he didn't, he really left nothing to figure out. I mean, when he made the coaching change, when he let Todd Reardon go, which is, you know, pretty, think about it. That's pretty hard to swallow for Brian McClellan because you took a chance on him. He let Barry Trotz walk and then you fire Todd Reardon after Barry Trotts sweeps your team. That's a lot to I mean, you got <laughs> to swallow it, That's it. It's a lot to your, but but Brian McClellan puts the team first. And um it, and it is interesting because part of the criticism from some caps fans uh, was in media is that you know that they weren't willing to pay Barry Trotts uh, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, if you remember the he had the, Barry Trotz had kind of a strange contract at the time. And again, when he signed it, the com, the, the salaries hadn't jumped yet. We hadn't had not had the Babcock effect yet. But when he signed it, there was a strange clause in his deal that if he won the cup, it would it would enact a two-year extension at a marginal raise, which I think worked out to about 1.8 million a year. And obviously, by the time the Caps won the cup, 1.8 million a year wasn't commiserate with what a guy like Barry Trotz should be earning. Now, you could argue should the caps have just torn everything up, which you can do with coaches and just say, here's your new deal. Yes. But it should also be noted that the caps didn't enforce that extension to the to, to the T, right? They basically said, okay, well, we get it, so you know, you can you can move on. And of course, that worked out great for Barry Trotz, four million a year with the New York Islanders. But it should not go unnoticed, I think, anyway, because <laughs> I love this stuff yeah. that Peter Lagoulette is making just a bit more than Barry Tross now in Washington.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it is sort of, a, you know, it's an interesting sort of symmetry going on, right? I mean, Barry was in Nashville for all those years and, uh, you know, a, a tremendous part of that franchise's history. And then Peter Laviolette comes in, they go to a cup final in 17 and then some decline there. And now. Yes, Todd Reardon was there for for two years, but Tariq al Bashir and I were talking about this the other day. But it, you know, the shadow cast by Barry Trotz is still quite long over the Capitals, and I, I think this is a he, this is a critical hire for Brian McClellan at a critical time for the Washington Capitals. And you and I talked to to Jim Rutherford the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins a couple of weeks back. That, you know, and he actually mentioned the Capitals, right? The two teams that are really closely linked in terms of the history since the 0405 lockout and the Caps need to they need to get back onto that path uh, after two straight one and duns in the playoffs and and really looking like they looked it didn't look good for them uh, against the Islanders in the first round, so I I think this is an important hire, and I I like the fit. I, I think Peter Laviolette is 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 the right fit for this team at this right time. I, I don't know whether you yeah, you and and he fits there. Yeah, and and I do like the
1: hire. To be honest, I would have been just as comfortable with Callan or Babcock. I, I just think the focus was correct for Brian McCollum, that one of those three guys was going to come in and be all business, get everyone's attention. Uh, the party's over, boys. I know you won a cup two years ago, but it's time to get back to work. That's what Brian McClellan's looking for here. He's definitely going to get that in Peter Labillette. Um, You know, Gerard Gallant is a guy that, I don't know, everywhere he goes, the players will want to go through a wall for him, right? I, I mean, I wrote that. Like, I can't believe he hasn't been hired yet, but, um, you know, he would have been a great hire as well. Um, and, you know, Mike Babcock, that's going to be more interesting because, and I will tell you that I think Brian McClellan was pretty intrigued from his conversation with Mike Babcock but that's an interesting one wherever that goes number one we still don't know for sure and I've had the odd text with Mike Babcock to check in on him but we still don't know for sure where Mike Babcock's mind and heart is you know he's in his late 50s the Leafs owe him 17 million dollars over the next three years like let me just be honest like he doesn't need to coach again Um, but it might eat at him and he might win, want, want to win another cup after winning one in Detroit. He might want to also leave a different lasting impression than the way things ended in Toronto. So that'll be an interesting one for an organization because also when you hire him, you know, everyone's going to have to deal with some of the stories that came out at the end. And, you know, the Marner thing and, and U.N. France and in Detroit, All that all that stuff's going to have to be addressed by Babcock. For sure. And then he's a, listen, he's a guy that's always been an open book. I think he will deal with that at some point in time, but the organization that hires him too, is going to say, Hey, you know, we know that Mike has to change his ways a bit, but the guy's a serial winner, which is by the way, true, which is why so many teams have had Babcock on their radar since he got fired in Toronto. But again, I think it's less about what teams think of Babcock and way more about whether Babcock wants to coach again, in my mind, it's really comes down to what he wants whether we see him again. And then you mentioned Bruce Boudreau. Let's not forget him. Uh, All he does is, you know, winning percentage through the roof, special teams through the roof. The guy changes teams everywhere he goes. So at some point, you know, if you're Bruce Boudreau, do you settle for a high-end associate job here in the coming weeks? You know, he's been linked to the Toronto Maple Leafs potentially. Or do you wait until next season, and it's terrible to say this, but – you wait for a head coaching opportunity to, to open, right? If teams get off to a bad start.
0: So let me ask you before we move on from the coaching. It, 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 you know, I think at one point you and I have had this discussion with so many coaches out there, and at one point there were a number of coaching openings. You know, whether it was going to Calgary or Minnesota or whatever um, the the situation was going to be. That would that would that be. would that put pressure on Ron Francis, the GM in Seattle, to move earlier to hire his first ever head coach? But maybe now that basically, you know, we assume Bob Budner is going to stay in San Jose, that maybe there's less pressure on Ron Francis and maybe save a little money in the short term if you don't move more quickly to, to hire that first coach there we had gerard Gallant on not too long ago on two-man advantage i mean to me that makes a that that would be a great fit but i also think bruce boudreau mike babcock um you know the, there are options there for ron francis but maybe he doesn't have to move as quickly now given the landscape as we know it well and it's by the way it should not go unnoticed
1: that peter laviolette is no longer an option for ron francis those two are the history um, yes, correct. so that's interesting too um, you know as I wrote this week my sense is and uh, these things can change but my sense at the moment is that you know even though Ron Francis got the green light from ownership uh, you know back in I think January or February to hire this past summer had he wanted to which uh, would have been a pretty early hire for the coach compared to Vegas um, you know that hasn't happened. And I think part of what's happening is they've decided to take their time in Seattle and see how things play out. And part of it is I think is the uncertainty of the business and, you know, next season in the NHL, heck, you know, when will Seattle's first game be because of the way the cycle has been broken here with the NHL calendar. Right. So there's a lot, uh, sort of, there's a lot of uncertainty now. And I think, you know, I I think Seattle is going to take its time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, listen, to me, I wouldn't overthink it. Gerard Galina is sitting there. And and I I don't know what other proof you need than the way he brought up. He brought 23 players who had never played together before to a cup final. I'm not saying that's going to happen in Seattle. I mean, I think other teams are going to be smarter about not overpaying and overthinking the expansion process. But at the end of the day, again, Galina has proven so many times that he can bring a group together and maximize... uh, you know, the sum of their parts. He'd be my hire if I was Ron Francis, but I also think, I don't know what you think, but I think Seattle already as an organization is proving to think outside the box with a lot of their hires. I like what I'm seeing there. And and maybe they surprise us at the end of the day with their coaching hire.
0: Now that's, a, that's an excellent point. And, and maybe it's not even just the, you know, who ends up being the head coach there. I'm with you. I mean, Gerard Gallant, just, it just seems, you know, fit, like a hand in a glove. But maybe there is, you know, maybe the way that coaching staff gets built around whoever they hire, um, you know, will be, will be in character for Seattle, which is, as you know, to be a little bit outside the box. So, yes, fascinating times. Listen, I got to tell you that uh, the, even though we are now we're still waiting for the Eastern Conference Final to get done, the Islanders staving off elimination with yeah, a double that. overtime win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. You know, great for Jordan Eberle, who's really you know, in my mind this it's been a bit of a struggle for him uh in these playoffs, but certainly in this series against Tampa, uh scoring the the big goal to keep them alive but every day we go longer waiting for a finalist to face uh, the Dallas stars brings us closer to the October 6th draft and the start of free agency on October 9th. Um, our friend, Bill Guerin not a, uh, he has, he has not been, uh, resting around in this, uh, period after the wild were bounced from the Edmonton bubble. Uh, interesting moves there. And I, I was curious what you made. First of all, he acquires Nick Bukestad, um, from Pittsburgh, and I'm really curious to see how I think Bukestad has tremendous upside, and and I think this is going to be a good spot for him. But of course, the big news was Jonas Brodin, 42 million dollar contract, and you wonder what kind of dominoes are going to fall there. A lot of people have drawn a line from the Brodin deal to potential movement of Matt Dumba, which is a a, a defenseman with lots of offensive upside and there are lots of teams looking for that i wonder if are are, is, are these kind of domino things that you think uh are, are falling right before our eyes
1: yeah i, I mean it, you know you can't hide what's happening in minnesota because once the Brodeen extension went through tuesday and the no move clause uh you know was put in that deal it, it it is what it is. There's no hiding in plain sight. I mean, you know, as our colleague Michael Russo detailed in his in his reaction piece, you know, you got Ryan Suter, Jared Spurgeon, and Jonas Perdeen all with no move clauses, which means they can't be exposed for the expansion draft unless, of course, they want it to be. Um, which leads to a question: there. Would the Wild protect four defensemen, which means only four forwards, as opposed to the traditional, you know, ten, you know, seven forwards, three D, and a goalie? Um, or would they entertain trading Matt Dumba? And, and you know, the answer to that right now is that no final decisions I think has been made on any of those fronts, except that there's no question, uh, uh, according to my sources, that teams are already calling on Dumba and that the Wild are listening as they should. Um, but you don't have to do something now. I mean, like I said, you can actually decide to protect 4D next year, the expansion draft, or you could wait until the trade deadline next year to trade Dumba, um, or you could even wait until after next season. There's still time before the expansion draft. So, so my point is, I think the Wild have options. They're not they're not in a corner. It doesn't have to be in the next month, uh, but it would make sense for sure for Bill Guerin to be listening, and I think that's what he's doing right now.
0: That's good work by you this morning. You know, I always like it when you slide back into the the saddle here on Wednesdays. I'm going to give you just because, a I'm I continue to be in fear that you will serve me with some sort of legal notice to stop the other two man advantages. You got you got something on your mind? Is something you want to? We got we got some time here. You got something? A final word? Uh, something you're curious about? Something? The floor is yours, my friend. Yeah. Well, I,
1: I, you know. Will probably get uh, dated by the time we post this, but uh, as I tweeted about this morning, uh, this morning, and other people have reported on it, it, interesting that Bill Armstrong, the Blues' assistant GM, has emerged as the uh, front runner uh, for the vacant um, Coyotes' GM job. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that he'll get it because, uh, as I reported, that. You know, he's, my sense of the situation is Arizona has zeroed in on him, but now it's time to negotiate a deal with him. And, I mean, let's just call it for what it is. It sounds like there's some tough economic times happening there and that, you know, the Coyotes are going to really try to cut payroll uh, with their players. But also I would suspect if they're hiring a first-time GM like Bill Armstrong that, uh, you know, it's not going to be at an exorbitant cost, but... You know, everyone has their price, so it'll be interesting to see how that negotiation goes over the next day or two and whether Bill Armstrong ends up as GM there, and if not, who else? But um, he's a guy that's certainly earned the chance to be a GM in my mind. He's done excellent work alongside Doug Armstrong in St. Louis, obviously won a cup there, but the Blues, perennial winners, perennial contenders. And Bill Armstrong, who also interviewed for the Florida gig that went to Bill Zito, uh, has sort of been knocking at the door, so let's see if he ends up getting it.
0: Yeah, I'm I must admit I I I hope that I hope what doesn't happen in Arizona is that it becomes this sort of bare bones threadbare kind of operation because this is a pretty critical time for that franchise, right? I mean, we we know the hit they took from the NHL for the the, the uh, cheating on the um testing on the combine. No first-round pick, no second-round pick this year, no first-round pick next year. Um, And that's a team that made strides, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's—and you need not just—you always need this, but especially given the circumstances here, you need really good, smart people. And not just one or two. You need a lot of them, right? You need to build a a, really—a deep, committed hockey ops department. And I just hope this team doesn't try to do things on the cheap, and because if you can't draft and develop, man, you are going to be in the soup in this NHL, especially with the flat mm-hmm. cap going forward. So I'm with you. I think Bill Armstrong would be it's a, a terrific choice if it works out that way. Lots of capable people out there. I, I hope they. I just hope they do the right thing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and it would be
1: disheartening if Gongdale comes back, right? Because it's just been yeah. the, the longest-running story there that you have I, I feel a really strong market if done properly I, I like Arizona um, I like them even better if they build a rink in the right place but and, and again a lot of this is clearly pandemic related in terms of ownership wanting to cut payroll but uh, you know you, let's see how this looks on the other side but uh, you know if this becomes a floor team uh, trading away players just for financial reasons, uh, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for. Let's face it, you know, the, 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 the fan base that has remained is as loyal as they come, given everything that's transpired there.
0: Yes, good point. All right. All right, well, this has been great. Been uh, fun. It was great to have Jeff Ward. Always great to catch up with you. Uh, I've got some time. uh, Weird, no hockey tonight, of course, uh, as we get ready for Game 6 Thursday night of the Eastern Conference final. Islanders, Tampa, Dallas getting um, uh, some needed time to lick their wounds and rest and regenerate their schedule. Like everyone's in the bubbles, but man, they played a ton of hockey. This is a huge break for them, I think, Pierre, in terms Mm -hmm. of. you know, the extra couple of days, and who knows if the Islanders can push this to Game 7, um, it's going it, to, I think it obviously really benefits Dallas. It, it's huge. And
1: I said this on that talk in TSN last night that I thought it was imperative Tampa finish off the Islanders uh, on Tuesday night because we now know, and I tweeted, tweeted this again today on, on Wednesday morning, that the NHL plans to start the Cup Final two days after the East Final ends. So in other words... Or at least that's the plan right now, which can shift. But if the series ends Thursday night, game one of the cup final is Saturday night. Um, just as had it ended last night, game one would have been Thursday night, right? So my point is, had they won last night, at least they would have been in the same boat as Dallas. Like just one day difference. Now they're given Dallas a real edge, I think. And it's the same edge, frankly, that Tampa enjoyed over the Islanders to start the Eastern final. Tampa beat Boston in five, got some time to breathe and traveled to Edmonton. Whereas uh, the Islanders <laughs> had to go seven with the Flyers in Toronto, get on a plane Sunday and play game one of these final Monday, and, and they didn't look ready. So, uh, you know, I guess if Tampa wins Thursday and they have to play two days later, say La vie, but I,
0: I think, you know, that was, that might come back to haunt them that they didn't win uh, Tuesday night. No question uh all right uh also you should give a listen to our friend craig custance who this week has chris jones uh, pierre you and i good old chris craig yeah it was yes one of the great writers anyway he's uh, going to talk uh my sense is a lot about the 2016 world cup of hockey and his new show on netflix which i think is uh, called away which uh, he he was involved in writing Uh, so check out the full 60 at The Athletic and you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple and if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, Pierre, I I was so um, a million subscribers and counting, That's, that's pretty damn good
1: yeah, and believe me, there aren't that many Lebruns around the world, so it's not about uh, it's not about me yeah. forcing my family members to subscribe. No, it's really happening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, if you're one of the few now who don't subscribe, subscribe now and say sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling. That sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash two-man advantage, you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. That is almost nothing. So you should go and do that. Pierre, good work today. And tomorrow morning, I'll be back. You know, Pierre, Josh Bogorad, the voice of the Dallas Stars, is going to join me uh, tomorrow morning on our podcast. We're going to talk some stars and stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. And I know you'll be listening, Pierre, and I hope everyone else will as well. Thanks, my friend. Right on, right on.